Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. So 45-10 yesterday, Sam, is the icing on the cake. At the end of the day, like, why do you think Rivera waited to do this now versus, like, because to me it's like, okay, there's nothing left to save for this season, what if you had done this after the Bears game? Is it just it became untenable to go to work every day? Like, what was the breaking point? To me, the breaking point was losing to two division rivals, one of whom was starting an undrafted rookie third-string quarterback and not solving defensive problems, not maximizing your defensive personnel. I mean, he's given up explosive. His defenses have given up explosive plays for years. It's obviously been worse this year. They didn't make the midseason turnaround that they usually make. And I think that Ron wanted to give his guy a chance. This is a guy that Ron brought in, stuck by through some, you know, comments that he made about January 6th. He's, he's stayed with him even when, you know, Jack couldn't find a scheme to maximize a high price free agent and William Jackson. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of problems, a lot of misses, even though Jack, I think, has had the defense playing really well at times over the last four years. But when you put those two games together and it, you know, closes the book on on your competitive season, you have to do something. And there wasn't, I think, an easy coaching change here for Harris to fire Rivera. I don't think, you know, that would have been the answer. Uh, I think that Ron taking over as play caller is not a, a slam dunk. It's not going to improve you probably right. in the same way firing Brent Wieselmeyer is not going to improve you. So I think it was an imperfect but necessary decision at this point. Yeah, so I think it's interesting, right, because they, you, as you mentioned, Ron is now taking over your defensive play calling. I thought it was interesting and correct when he's like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to scale things back. And I think that's both for Ron and for the players. Like um, one, one point that I've made to people when they've talked about firing Jack in season in the past is Ron taking over isn't as simple as he just picks up the playbook and calls different plays. This is not the defense that he used to call. He's never called this defense before. This is Jack's scheme. Now, if you're a head coach and you're competent and you've been around it for four years and you were a former defensive coordinator yourself, I hope you can call at least some of it by this point. Um, And that is certainly what Ron's going to do. But it sounds like they're also going to majorly simplify the scheme. And it just kind of makes me wonder again, like if this is something that was on the table, you know, none of the people that are going to pick it up now haven't been here. And I think that's frustrating because they've been looking for answers all year. And so in a way, if it works, if they play better these four games, it's almost all the more frustrating because these solutions were available all along. 
the idea of simplifying the scheme is interesting to me because after the Giants game in particular, you talk to Benjamin St. Jude, yeah. you talk to Emmanuel Forbes, and they talk about how complex the scheme is and how sometimes that leads to miscommunications in the back end. Then my colleague Tremel Rags talked to Isaiah Hodgins, the Giants receiver, and he was like, yeah, I mean, their scheme's pretty simple. You know, we, we knew how to beat it, especially when they played a lot more man-to-man coverage to try to beat Tommy DeVito, a young, inexperienced quarterback. Um, they, you know, went back to more zone-heavy schemes against Dak, a, a veteran. But when we talk about, like, simplifying the scheme, I, I know what we're talking about here, but I really don't know if it matters. You just need to produce better results. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny that quote just brought back something that Logan and I talked about on Take Command last year, which is that all these comments start to come out about this defense. And I was like, it seems like it's complicated for us, easy for them. And that is the worst possible combination of something. Like you want as an offense, right? You want your offense to look really complicated. We have motions, we have shifts, we have funky formations, but we know what we're doing. So it's super easy. Complex for them, easy for us. Same thing on defense. Looks really complex. Oh my God, is it cover two? Is it cover six? Is it cover three? But we know what we're doing. It's simple for us. And it seemed like offenses are able to look at this scheme the last, most of the last four years. There's been obviously stretches where it's been very, very good. Uh, But all in all, offenses have seen straight through the disguises, straight through whatever complications there have been. It's simple to attack, and there has never been a consistent cohesion of execution on the commander side of it, which is why they're now literally the worst defense in the league. I've been thinking a lot over the last couple of days about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers upset in 2021. When that defense legitimately confused Tom Brady with its rotations and, you know, William Jackson had a pick in that game. And it just, to me, like, if you crystallize all of the things, and obviously they play complimentary football and they had that a 10-minute drive to seal it at the end where Antonio Gibson is just doing, like, battering ram running back carries. Like, that to me is maybe, like, a high point in terms of, what this football team has been under Ron Rivera. And I think particularly for the defense to go out and confuse a hall of famer who like he wins with his mind. He never like, why, gets confused ever. Exactly. Like what, like why was it impossible to make that consistent? And I don't know if there's one answer. I don't know if Jack would have an answer. I don't know if any players would have an answer, but like when you see a high that high and then you see a low as low as we're seeing right now, like, how, you know? Well, that's what I wanted to ask is like, they were able to turn this around mid-year, multiple years. And I think that probably saves Jack after the Bears game, right? To answer my own question from earlier. Why doesn't he do that after the Bears game? Well, because every other year there's been a turnaround and they play like a top five unit for the back halves of multiple years here. And Ron's probably like, well, it really is unfortunate that we did this terrible start thing again, but he'll figure it out. Why didn't they turn it around this past year? And I think, by the way, the answer is the other guy who got fired today is not as good as the guy that he replaced. Brett Visselmeyer, the defensive backs coach, also gets fired today. And Chris Harris is the guy they should have kept all along. Like, I think you watch how the DBs progress this year. You watch the, and not in fact, not just progress because that's not actually the right word. You watch how the defensive backs regress this year. Cam Curl this year is not as good as he was last year. BSJ, not as good as he was last year. Kendall's about the same guy, but he's got a lot more football underneath him in terms of a resume. And then by the way, you complicate this or compound this by using your first two draft picks on defensive backs at a position that is terribly coached all year long. 
And to me, like that's the difference in the previous years is they were able to figure out a coverage structure that worked for them. And there was like a game and a half this year where they started playing a lot more too and it started to work. Teams figured it out. They never adjusted again. And it's been, you know, barbecue chicken, if you will, to borrow the inside the NBA phrasing ever since. Yeah, I mean, this is... And I think the thing that's frustrating for a lot of defensive players is that they feel like they've made progress. They've had good practices. And, and last night I was standing in the depths of AT&T Stadium outside the interview room. And <laughs> I, I like down the wall, like down the halls, Brian Mitchell's voice is just like on the team broadcast, just ripping them apart about, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear about good practices that, you know, I'm tired of this crap on the field, things like that. Yeah. And so I, I think that, it's it's hard to it's hard to argue because we're not out there all the time about like hey defensive backs like you are not having the quality of practice that you think you're having but clearly like the results on the field have shown that and so I, I think it's really it's it's frustrating um like why can't guys pass guys off like, right. like why can you not communicate in the back end why is it why did the zone match scheme switch not work um I mean, it's obviously coaching, detail, players, all of those things. Um, but untangling those, like, messy cord of wires is, is feels impossible at times. Yeah, I think that's that's going to take a while. And, you know, it's going to take guys talking, which obviously when people get fired, all of a sudden there's no reason, reason to keep secrets. Guys tend to talk. You've been doing this long enough. And, you know, look, last year it, uh, it happened before uh, people got fired. He wrote the story. Uh, for those that may not remember, uh, Sam wrote the story about Scott Turner that uh, was uh, not great, uh, at least if you're Scott Turner. So who knows what, what people are be willing to say this week um, and, and obviously moving forward uh, through the bye week and through the rest of the season. Um, yeah, I, I actually, that also sparked this other kind of complimentary thought, if you will, because I was having a conversation after last week's game in the locker room with uh, one of the offensive players. And he was just like, man, if you got, if you could see us practice, our offense does not look like this. Our offense is so much crisper. We hit big shots. And I was thinking about that conversation like two days later. And I was like, was well, that just because you guys get to play your defense in practice? Like, what is, you know, is it just like, you know, whatever the opposite inverse of iron sharpens iron is? Is it just two bad units going against each other in practice? And if so, you get this false sense of confidence because you're beating up on each other and then you have to go face someone else and lo and behold, you're not that good. And I just, I wonder if that's kind of been where we were the entire year and you can never know in training camp because you don't get to see it against someone else. And they even did go to Baltimore and like they looked good against Baltimore. I think that's the thing that's crazy to me is just it never came together this season. They've all the reason that it should, which honestly does give me hope for the future. Like I do think good a good coaching staff can come in here and turn this thing, not to mention the graphics and the, the cap space pretty quick, but like, I don't know, I guess to, to like tee up a question for you, do you think the players here are much better than the results. And this is, this is, as you start to untangle the wires, poorly, a poorly coached team, or did we overrate the talent and the, the players actually aren't that good. And we overrated that in the preseason. And that's why they have not met expectations. Last year, it was pretty clear to me. And I think a lot of people that the offense did not live up to its potential because of three reasons, right? Play calling, offensive line, quarterback. And I think that you could go into the offseason and say, oh, there are these three things that we need to fix. I don't think it is quite that simple this year, but I do think that, yeah, there is talent on this roster and you're seeing a lesser than the sum of its parts team right now. I think that you do need to 
make some changes. You obviously need to add edge rushers. Uh, you need to add corners, uh, safety, depending on what happens with Cam Curl. Uh, I think on the offense, you know, you got to look at tight end. And, and obviously the big question is you have to evaluate Sam Howell. And I know that he's shown a lot of promising signs, but if you hire a GM or a coach who doesn't think he's the guy or thinks that they have a good enough draft pick and, and they feel like Drake May or Caleb Williams or one of these guys is an upgrade, they could go get him. So I think there's a lot of things at play, but I don't look at this roster in the same way that we did at the end of 2019 and said like, this is a massive rebuild. I, I think that like there are pieces there, especially with the cap space that you have, especially with the draft picks that you're going to have. I see this as a, a, a not as complete project as it was when Ron Rivera came on. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of helpful pieces on this roster. The thing that's crazy about the 2019 team and this team is the same or the best players are the same guys. Like, bigger question, why do you think Rivera's never been able to get another superstar or develop another superstar caliber player over his time here? Because it really is John Allen, Deron Payne, and half joke or and Terry McLaurin and half jokingly Tressway. <laughs> I mean, like, no, not jokingly, Tressway. Like, he is yeah. one of the best He's players a punter, but, like, he's one of the best players on the team. Yeah, it, it, that, like, that's not a joke. Um, I mean, you have to start with the evaluation process. And I think that, like, I would, I would not give Ron a pass, but, like, drafting Chase Young, to me, even with the Justin Herbert development and the Tua development, like, he had to take Dwayne Haskins as a part of the job and Chase Young was a generational guy. Like, you know, not making it work with him, uh, I think is a, is a massive franchise altering whiff, but drafting him, I, I don't, you know, think it was a sure. mistake. I don't think par as Jamin or, you know, Emmanuel could end up being, I think that, you know, you've seen a lot of helpful pieces like they hit on Cam Curl in 2020. Um, they've hit on, you know, I think Derek Forrest, even though, you know, he hasn't been as consistent or and he's been injured this year, but like, I think they've added pieces, but why haven't they been able to add superstar talent? I mean, I think a part of it is the Ron Rivera model, I guess you could say like the path of every year starting slow mid season surge, either getting into the playoffs and losing or, or falling short of the playoffs. Like you have a middling draft pick every year. And, and, you know, I, I don't think that the evaluation and development pipeline has been up to par. Yeah. I also just wonder like where did like what did Ron what was Ron thinking on some of this? And I've been thinking about this more too in terms of E B. Um I know we're straying a little bit from the defense. This is mostly about Del Rio and whatever, but like the this all plays into each other. Like you look at the the interior offensive line of Kansas City, like they're really good. Their guards are good. Creed Humphrey's one of the better centers in the league. Andy's always had good O lines going back to his days in Philly. That offense works at its best when you have a really good interior O-line, and you would think that would have been an even bigger point of emphasis with Sam at quarterback. And by the same token, to bring it back to the defense, like Ron was good when he was good in Carolina, and, and people know at this point, like, you know, he actually wasn't that good in Carolina. He had three winning seasons. But like when they were good, and defensively they were good for a long stretch, but he had maybe the best middle linebacker ever. Like he had Luke Keekley, and his he had obviously the the really good players up front, but that defense worked because they had studs in the back seven as well. Josh Norman at the peak of his powers at corner. They had Bradbury, who was really good. But Luke in the middle was the guy who made everything work. And here it's been kind of, you know, the Cole Holcombs. And Cole's like a fine football player, but he's not anywhere remotely close to Luke Keekley. 
Um, Cody Barton, obviously they bring in. And, you know, if they thought Jamin was going to be that guy, like that's just a heinous evaluation of who Jamin Davis is. Jamin could have been like the Thomas Davis type or um, the Shaq Thompson type, but he wasn't Luke Keekly. And, you know, your first round pick, that's a big, big ask. So I also just wonder, like philosophically, it seems like there's some places where they didn't invest in a major way or they did and they missed, you know, corner William Jackson is a big miss. And I wonder how much that obviously plays into it as well. Is like they tried in the wrong places. They didn't spend on the right things. And when they did spend those, they actually weren't very good at picking the right, the right things off the shelf, if you will, anyway. I feel like this is kind of the part of the conversation where I'm talking about where it's, it's hard to untangle this stuff yeah. because if you hit on William Jackson, you have a shutdown corner. Like that year in 2020, they were, pretty good down the stretch except against number one receivers so it's like okay we have to go out and get a guy that can shut down number one receivers and, and theoretically william jackson was that he had been that in cincinnati and so then you know you were unable schematically to maximize his strengths and you're unable to coach him up and, and kind of get him to, to buy in and and you know have play with vision through the receiver to the quarterback instead of you know locking onto a man and so then when that sets you back, then you have to start compensating for that. And it just shifts everything around and, and kind of with the same thing with Jamin Davis, like you bring that guy in and you're like, even though he only had one year, we can coach him up, we can coach him up. And so I, I think it's, you know, it, it's going to depend on who you talk to in terms of who is the blame on more in terms of, is it an evaluation thing? Is it a developmental thing? Is it a schematic thing? But it's just clear that the front office and the coaching staff have, have never been on the same page. And if they have been on the same page, then one of their abilities has not been up to snuff to, to get right. those guys where they need to go. And so like, yeah, it, it's, it, it's such a cop out answer to say like, Oh, it's easy to point figures and blame, but like, it's really complicated. But I, I really do believe that. I don't think anyone here was, I think that there were multiple problems and that is obscuring. Like, what is the thing that it, like screwed this team? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like the simplest way to put it is there's a bunch of people here that aren't that good at their jobs. They're not incompetent. Like they're not, not professional, but they're just not that good at it. And that's a hard pill to swallow. And by the way, that also means sometimes the professionalism is going to allow you to win some games or show competitiveness in a certain situation, but you're just never going to break through. I, I remember I was doing a profile about Marty Herney when they hired him and I talked to John Lynch um, I was doing a profile about Martin Mayhew because he had played with John Lynch when they were together in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And John Lynch made a comment to me, and I'm going to kind of butcher it, but John Lynch basically said, like, I know a lot of people think, like, can it really work with Marty and Ron running it back for a third time? Um, and he said, and I don't know, but I think Martin will be a good addition to that room. You know, he didn't say exactly that, but that was basically his message. And, yeah. and to me, that really speaks to kind of the point you just made. Like, Marty and ron together outside of a year where you had the league mvp and a generational middle linebacker like this is this is kind of what they were you know and and like so so i don't think this comes as a major shock i think that there were times that you know they could have been better but if you're looking at this and saying how did ron rivera not live up to the 15 and 1 carolina panthers super bowl run year and you just say like he never found cam and he never found luke yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it. All right, last thing, uh, Sam Fortier, again with us. You can read his work covering all of this. The game yesterday, Del Rio's firing. And what I'm about to ask him about, uh, at WashingtonPost.com slash sports, which is where does this team go next? To me, this is kind of like, okay, we got our head on a platter. Uh, let's get to the end of the year, and then everyone's going to be gone. 
and Josh Harris can finally really start anew. Again, if anybody expected anything differently, they should be mad at the NFL for not pushing Dan Snyder out sooner because Josh Harris got control of the team the night before training camp started. And to me, by the way, that is an underrated story in this. Is like if the NFL had any chutzpah to push Dan out faster, that would have been great because they literally just cost Washington the season. There was nothing Harris could do even if he wanted to. Who knows if he would have, but he didn't have the choice. Anyway, aside from that, rant that I've done a couple of times over the last year. Um, Where does this team go from here, let's say, between now and the end of the season? They play the games until now. (laughs) And and you look at Sam Howell and you say, are you the guy? And I think it's going to be a good stretch for that, considering the the really talented defenses they're going to face. Dallas again, San Francisco, the New York Jets. I mean, uh, they're going to be in a track meet with Miami, probably, or they're going to have to throw a lot. So, I mean, this is going to be some really important tape for whoever the next GM is to come in and evaluate. And I, I think, you know, I, I don't think it really matters how, how Ron is as a defensive play caller, but you want to see like, can you, can Emmanuel finish strong? Can Quan Martin be something? Uh, I, I don't really know what Benjamin St. Juice role is on this team, but outside corner, I, I don't know if he has a future there. Can he play nickel? Uh, can Jamin continue to make strides? Uh, is Cam Curl going to flash something that makes you say, hey, do we want to resign him? Because I think that, you know, maybe Kendall Fuller is back. But, like, there's just – I just think it's a lot about who who are the important pieces on this team? Like, who would matter to, in 2024 no matter who the GM and the head coach are? And Sam Howell is, is obviously the biggest question mark there, and, and then everybody else is, is somewhere behind him. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, Sam Fortier, appreciate your time, sir. Read him, WashingtonPost.com slash sports. This is the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and the Odyssey app.